Chapter 15 of Esther Waters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Abraham. Esther Waters by George Moore. Chapter 15. I wish, Mother, you was going to the hospital with me. It would save a lot of expense, and you'd be better cared for. I'd like to be with you, dearie. But I can't leave my home. All these young children about, and no one to give an order. I must stop where I am. But I've been intending to tell you. It is time you was thinking about your letter. What letter, mother? They don't take you without a letter from one of the subscribers. If I was you, now that the weather is fine, and you have the strength for the walk, I'd go up to Queen Charlotte's. It is up the Edgware Roadway, I think. What do you think about tomorrow? Tomorrow's Sunday. That makes no matter. Them hospitals is open. I'll go tomorrow when we have washed up. On Friday, Esther had had to give her father more money for drink. She gave him two shillings, and that made a sovereign that he had had from her. On Saturday night, he had been brought home helplessly drunk long after midnight and next morning one of the girls had to fetch him a drop of something to pull him together. He had lain in bed until dinner time, swearing he would brain anyone who made the least noise. Even the Sunday dinner, a nice beefsteak pudding, hardly tempted him, and he left the table saying if he could find Tom Carter, they would take a penny goat and go for a blow on the river. The whole family waited for his departure, but he lingered, talked inconsequently, and several times Mrs. Saunders and the children gave up hope. Esther sat without a word. He called her a sulky brute, and snatching up his hat, left the house. The moment he was gone, the children began to chatter like birds. Esther put on her hat and jacket. I'm going, mother. Well, take care of yourself. Good luck to you. Esther smiled sadly, but the beautiful weather melted on her lips. Her lungs swelled with the warm air, and she noticed the sparrow that flew across the cab rank and saw the black dot pass down a mews and disappear under the eaves. It was a warm day in the middle of April. A mist of green had begun in the branches of the elms of the green park, and in Park Lane, in all the balconies and gardens, wherever nature could find root hold, a spray of gentle green met the eye. There was music too in the air, and the sound of fifes and drums and all along the roadway, as far as she could see, the rapid movement of assembling crowds. A procession with banners was turning the corner of the Edgware Road, and the policeman had stopped the traffic to allow it to pass. The principal banner blew out blue and gold in the wind, and the men that bore the poles walked with strained backs under the weight. The music changed. Opinions about the objects of the demonstration were exchanged and it was some time before Esther could gain the policeman's attention. At last the conductor rang his bell, and the omnibus started, and gathering courage she asked the way. It seemed to her that everyone was noticing her, and fearing to be overheard, she spoke so low that the policeman understood her to say, Charlotte Street. At that moment an omnibus drew up close beside them. Charlotte Street, Charlotte Street, said the policeman. There's Charlotte Street, Bloomsbury. Before Esther could answer, he had turned to the conductor. You don't know any Charlotte Street about here, do you? No, I don't. 
but can't you see it ain't no Charlotte Street she wants, but Queen Charlotte's Hospital, and he'd better lose no time in directing her. A roar of coarse laughter greeted this pleasantry, and burning with shame she hurried down the Edgware Road. But she had not gone far before she had to ask again, and she scanned the passers-by, seeking some respectable woman, or in default an innocent child. She came at last to an ugly desert place. There was the hospital, square, forbidding, and opposite a tall, lean building with long grey columns. Esther rang, and the great door, some fifteen feet high, was opened by a small boy. I want to see the secretary. Will you come this way? She was shown into a waiting room, and while waiting she looked at the religious prints on the walls. A lad of fifteen or sixteen came in. He said, You want to see the secretary? Yes, but I'm afraid you can't see him. He's out. I have come a long way. Is there no one else I can see? Yes, you can see me. I'm his clerk. Have you come to be confined? Esther answered that she had. But, said the boy, you are not in labour. We never take anyone in before. I do not expect to be confined for another month. I came to make arrangements. You've got a letter? No. Then you must get a letter from one of the subscribers. But I don't know any. You can have a book of their names and addresses. But I know no one. You needn't know them. You can go and call. Take those that live nearest. That's the way it is done. Then will you give me the book? I'll go and get one. The boy returned a moment after with a small book for which he demanded a shilling. Since she had come to London, her hand had never been out of her pocket. She had her money with her. She did not dare leave it at home on account of her father. The clerk looked out the addresses for her, and she tried to remember them. Two were in Cumberland Place. Another was in Bryanstone Square. In Cumberland Place she was received by an elderly lady who said she did not wish to judge anyone, but it was her invariable practice to give letters only to married women. There was a delicate smell of perfume in the room. The lady stirred the fire and lay back in her armchair. Once or twice Esther tried to withdraw, but the lady, altogether unswervingly faithful to her principles, seemed not indifferent to Esther's story, and asked her many questions. I don't see what interest all that can be to you, as you ain't going to give me a letter, Esther answered. The next house she called at, the lady was not at home but she was expected back presently, and the maid-servant asked her to take a seat in the hall. But when Esther refused information about her troubles, she was called a stuck-up thing who deserved all she got, and was told there was no use her waiting. At the next place she was received by a footman who insisted on her communicating her business to him. Then he said he would see if his master was in. He wasn't in. He must have just gone out. The best time to find him was before half-past ten in the morning. He'll be sure to do all he can for you. He always do for the good-looking ones. How did it happen? What business is that of yours? I don't ask your business. Well, you needn't turn that rusty. At that moment the master entered. He asked Esther to come into his study. He was a tall, youngish-looking man of three or four and thirty, 
with bright eyes and hair, and there was in his voice and manner a kindness that impressed Esther. She wished, however, that she had seen his mother instead of him, for she was more than ever ashamed of her condition. He seemed genuinely sorry for her, and regretted that he had given all his tickets away. Then a thought struck him, and he wrote a letter to one of his friends, a banker in Lincoln's Inn Fields. This gentleman, he said, was a large subscriber to the hospital, and would certainly give her the letter she required. He hoped that Esther would get through her trouble all right. The visit brought a little comfort into the girl's heart, and thinking of his kind eyes, she walked slowly, inquiring out her way until she got back to the marble arch, and stood looking down the long Bayswater road. The lamps were beginning in the light, and the tall houses towered above the sunset. Esther watched the spectral city, and some sensation of the poetry of the hour must have stolen into her heart, for she turned into the park, choosing to walk there. Upon its dim green-gray, the scattered crowds were like strips of black tape. Here and there by the railings, the tape had been wound up in a black ball, and the peg was of some democratic orator promising poor human nature unconditional deliverance from evil. Further on were heard sounds from a harmonium, and hymns were being sung, and in each doubting face there was something of the perplexing, haunting look which the city bore. A chill wind was blowing. Winter had returned with the night, but the instinct of spring continued in the branches. The deep, sweet scent of the hyacinth floated along the railings, and the lovers that sat with their arms about each other on every seat were of Esther's own class. She would have liked to have called them round her and told them her miserable story, so they might profit from her experience. End of chapter 15